can see it. Luke chapter 1, and in verse 1, it says this. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. I'm pretty sure she's hitting him up in heaven for how he described her even now. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Watch what happens. Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Can you say this morning, the word of the Lord will be fulfilled in its time. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. We believe that. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that over these next few moments, you would speak clear to us. Jesus, we love you. We love your word. Now let us hear your truth. Receive it. Believe it. And do it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. This book was written to a man named Theophilus. Um, Seems most likely that Theophilus was a high-ranking, influential Gentile of whom Luke wanted to provide a very detailed historical account of Christ uh, and the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. There are a lot of theories about who Theophilus was. Um, 
the title that Luke gives him most excellent is very familiar that he gives uh, this. It's very familiar in the title that he gives Felix and Festus in uh, Festivus in uh, the book of Acts in Acts 24 and in Acts 26. He calls them both most excellent. And we know that one of them was a governor. So the assumption here is that Theophilus is someone important in the community. Some even theorize that Luke's account is actually a written document to Theophilus, who is a lawyer defending Paul at Antioch. He's, he's defending Paul because Paul has now become a preacher of the gospel, and Paul is experiencing court, trial, and all these different things. And some people think that Theophilus is actually representing Paul in a court of law, and so Luke is actually writing this to say, hey, here's my account. It matches with the account of Paul. He's not crazy after all. And so whether he was a lawyer or he was a governor or whoever he was, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that he's somebody important in the community. And Luke is trying to get a detailed narrative of what has happened to confirm and to bring security and safety to what Luke, to what Theophilus, I'm sorry, is believing and representing in the community. Theophilus could have been wavering in his faith. We don't know what the condition of his faith was, but apparently Luke is trying to write this letter to convince and tell Theophilus, here's the record, stay the course, keep the faith. The word that he uses, this word certainty, is an awesome word because this word certainty doesn't just, doesn't just have the, the superficial meaning of, yeah, I'm sure, but it literally means safety and security. In other words, what Luke is saying to Theophilus before he tells him anything about the gospel, anything about Jesus, anything about what he has learned, or what he's going to teach him, he tells him these things are certain. This teaching is safe and it's secure. In other words, these are locked down, unshakable truths. These are not, these, these are my theories. These aren't my ideas. These are locked down, unshakable truths. And one of the reasons that this book is so unique from all of the other gospels is that in this book, the word God or Lord is mentioned 194 times. And in Matthew, a book nearly the same size as Luke, it's only mentioned around 60 times. Three times more, Luke uses the word God or Lord because his audience is different. He's writing to a man who he is trying to make a declaration that this book is not my idea. This book is not man's idea. This book, Theophilus, if you're wavering in your faith, this is God's idea. And you can count on this, that these things have been proven. These are certain truths. You are safe and secure in believing this. There's safety and security in believing this. And so in Luke, you see a pattern of description. And even at the beginning, you see such a beautiful pattern. It, it kind of goes like this. There's the announcement of John. Then there's the announcement of Jesus. And then Mary visits Elizabeth. And then there's the birth of John. Then the birth of Jesus. And because of the similarities of these stories, many people know the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Joseph and Mary. But many people don't recognize the story 
that came before of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And these births are so important, and it's so important that they are seen together that Luke actually lists John's announcement first because he wants you to understand there's a, there's a, there's a similarity, there's a reason that both of these stories are listed together. And if you just jump into the story of Jesus, you miss what Luke is trying to point out in the story of John the Baptist. So there's the announcement of John, the announcement of Jesus, Mary visits Elizabeth, birth of John, birth of Jesus. And these similarities cause us to notice some things that Luke is trying to point out in this book. He's trying to point Theophilus to this idea that God is in control. God is in control and God is at work. First of all, he says this and he makes this declaration because through Gabriel, both of these births both of these pregnancies are predicted. They don't, they don't happen. And then along comes an angel to explain why all of a sudden Elizabeth has a baby and why all of a sudden Mary, who's never been with a man, has a baby. The angel doesn't come after the fact. The angel comes beforehand and predicts these conceptions, these births. Why? Because God is trying to say something through Luke to us, God is trying to tell us the only reason he can say what is going to happen is because he is in control of what will happen. <laughs> he wants to demonstrate that history is truly his story. It's not just chance. It's not just all oh, circumstance. No, God is truly in control. And he wants you to know that he is in control by coming beforehand to predict what will happen so that when it happens, the only one who gets the glory and the only one who gets the praise and the only one hearts and minds are turned to are the Lord. That's why he does it. So he predicts these births. They're not unusual consequences that God saw and used. These are ordained and ordered by God himself. See, this is one thing you can be certain about, because if this is true about this story, <laughs> God does not come along after the fact, after your fall, after your mistake, after you blew it, after your third marriage, after your kids ran away, after you lose the job and try to figure out what do I do now? God knows what is going to happen, is in control of what is going to happen. And because of that, you can have confidence that what is happening in my life is ordained and ordered by God. And if it's ordained and ordered, then he's in control and he has the right to speak into it, to speak about it and to change it or shift it or make it in any way he sees fit so that it comes out in the outcome that he wants. Jeremiah 29, 11, the reason he can declare, I know the plans I have for you is because he is in control of those plans. <laughs> Revelation 1 and 17, there are a lot of people freaking out right now because the world seems crazy and way out of order. 
seems like a mess and we don't understand what's happening in our own nation. We don't understand what's happening in the rest of the world. We see things happening that make no sense to us. And can I, can I tell you, God is not happy with every single thing that is happening in the earth. It doesn't make him smile that there are things that are happening in our nation that are displeasing to him. It doesn't make him smile that there, there are slaves being traded in Libya as we speak. It doesn't make him happy. But can I tell you this? He knew it in advance. And he is not after the fact trying to figure out how do I make this all work together. Everything that has happened is leading up to a moment in time where God is going to show you that ultimately I am in control and I am still Lord over everything. Even if it doesn't make sense now, when the fullness of time comes, you'll see it and you'll know it that I was in control all along. Revelation 1 and 17, man, this gives me so much hope. It says, he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. See, this is what I love about God. He is not just the first. He's the last. I love it about God that he's just not good at starting stuff. He's just as good at finishing. Matter of fact, Philippians 1 and verse 6 tells us this. You can be sure of this. God, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to bring it to its completion. He's not going to start something in you and then leave you. He's going to bring it to its completion. Can I tell you, if you're in this room today, it's because God started something in you. If you're here this morning, it's because God has initiated something in you and you can be confident of this. You might not know how it's going to get completed, but God does. And guess what? He's in charge of it getting completed. So all I know this morning is that I'm here because of God. If I make it, it's going to be because of God. If I'm changed, it's going to be because of God. If something happens, it's going to be because of God. If it gets better, it's going to be because of God. If he doesn't work, it's going to be because of God. If First service, you're excited to be here today, and I like that. I like you. I like it. So he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. So the similarities are the births are predicted and the births are humanly impossible. Zacharias and Elizabeth. <laughs> this one gets me fired up, and if I'm not careful... We won't get out of here in the next 10 minutes, but Zacharias and Elizabeth, watch this. The Bible is very clear to tell us they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments of the Lord, blameless, but it also tells us, but she was still barren. Can I, can I say something to you this morning? That you cannot earn a miracle. She and her husband were as good as it gets. These are, I, I've never really heard this description in almost all of history about anybody. 
They were righteous before God, walking in the commandments of the Lord, blameless. But she was still barren. That's good news. If, if you got any issues in your life, you should be running around this room right now. Because what that says to me is that my perfection is not what causes God to give me the thing that I desire in my heart. It's not my perfection. Because she was righteous, she was holy, she was blameless, she was right with God and still barren. Can I say to you this morning, the thing that's going to bring the favor of God in your life is the smile of God. And can I say this to you that the, the Old Testament tells me that for a while he was angry and he had turned his face from us. For a while he was angry and he would not look upon us. But it tells me that when he turned his face upon us again, he said he made a promise. I'll never turn away from you ever again. Can I tell you this about your standing in God right now? If you have made Jesus Lord of your life, that the face and the favor and the smile of God is towards you. And it's not going to be your goodness that brings the miraculous into your life. It's going to be the love that God has for you this morning. So can I tell you, even though you don't feel like a candidate for a miracle, you are the very one that God wants to do the miraculous in. Woo! If anybody deserved a baby, she did, but she still couldn't have one. God wants to tell you, it's not your perfection that's going to bring it to pass. It's mine. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Zacharias and Elizabeth, she was barren and, and from her husband's description, I'm not going to say this about you, Elizabeth, because I hope we have a good relationship when I see you, but Zechariah says you were old, girl. <laughs> so, so not only was she barren, but even if she got a miracle, he now needed one. Can I tell you when God wants to release a miracle into your family, it's not just for you. It's for your whole family. God's wanting to do something so incredible in your life that it not only releases fruitfulness in you, but fruitfulness in everybody that's connected to you. He wants to release it. Joseph and Mary had never had sex. They'd never been intimate. It's impossible. So God predicts the births. These are impossible births. So God is telling us, I'm in control. And I can do the impossible. You need to remember that this Christmas season. Because for many people, Christmas is not full of possibility and, you know, hot chocolate and eggnog and Christmas trees and family traditions. For many people in this room, Christmas is a horror movie. It's, it's the remembering of the loss. It's the remembering that I'm alone. It's remembering that my husband left me. It's remembering that my wife is dead. It's remembering that my kids are gone. It's remembering that our family is not connected. And so for many people in this room, Christmas does not mean good news. Because 
yeah, it's, it's great that you got a tree and you're happy, but I'm broken. And so what has this story got to do with me? Oh man, it's got everything to do with you. It's got everything to do with you. Watch this. The angel comes, says, says, says to Zechariah, you're going to have a, a child. Zechariah responds. So we notice the similarities of the story. But the similarities also cause us to recognize very easily the differences. There are some very stark differences in this story. So you've got, you've got Mary's response. And then you've got this older priest's response. It's amazing to me that Mary, this young teenager, responds in faith. And this older priest responds without faith. It's an amazing thing to me. And, and, and it's also amazing how critical the angel is of Zechariah's response. And not critical of Mary's response. To me, at first glance, it looks like the same response. Zechariah says this. He says, how can this be? Mary says, how can I know this? The angel mutes Zechariah for his unbelief. And Mary is commended for her belief. Even Elizabeth. Because now her husband's sitting beside her and can't talk because he didn't believe. And she's like, yeah, you didn't believe. She even looks at Elizabeth. She said, blessed are you because you believed the word of the Lord. You heard what you heard. She, she believed it. I'm thinking, how is, this, how is this so obvious to the angel? Like, I don't get, there's a disconnect here for me. He says, how shall I know this? He says, for I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Mary says, Mary says how, can, how, how, can, how can I, how can this be? I, I've never been with a man. Like, the responses don't seem that dissimilar to me. But Abraham, the Bible commends Abraham. It says in Romans chapter 4, 19, it said, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. The, the Bible paints this picture that my weakened body actually strengthened my faith, is what Abraham is saying. Like, it was, it was the fact that the odds were against me that made my faith stronger. My faith doesn't get stronger because it looks good. My faith gets stronger because it looks bad. Okay. So, Zechariah says, how can I know this? Mary says, how can this be? What's the difference? It's very subtle. But here's the difference. Zacharias is saying, how can I know this? I want more evidence. Mary is saying, how can this be? I want an explanation. That's the difference. That, how subtle is that? That the subtlety there is so small. You, it's so small. And the angel gets so disrespected by Zacharias. And he's so blown away by the faith of Mary. It's so small because this is this has always been the frustration of God towards humanity is that we need more evidence. 
the angel said to, to Zacharias, he said, bro, an angel is standing here in front of you. I came flapping from heaven. I was in the presence of God. I don't know if you can tell by this glow that is around me and the strangeness and uniqueness of my voice. I don't know if you've gotten this or not, but I'm not from earth. I am from heaven. I literally live in the presence of God. What else do you need? That's why Hebrews tells us, tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and one says this about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, Mary, was, Mary wasn't asking, can God do this? Mary was saying, how's he going to do it? Oh, that's, that's a big difference. There's a big difference there. When God makes a promise to you, the response shouldn't be, ah, my body, ah, my, my age, ah, my education, ah, my background, ah, the color of my skin, ah, my height, my, 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 the, my eyes, I can't see, I, I can't hear, I, I don't have all of, the, all of the stuff necessary. That shouldn't be the response. The response should be, how is God going to do this? How is God going to come through this time? How is God going to show that he is the God that is in control? Oh, of everything. My God, I feel like preaching. I need it. You can go ahead and stand up. We're about to be interrupted by people walking in the second service. How can this be? How can I know this? Wow, the difference is really subtle, but it's huge. He's saying, give me more evidence. She's saying, let me know how you're going to do it. Whew. That's a massive lesson on faith. It is possible to want too much evidence before believing God. So the angel offended. Says, okay, from now until the birth there's going to be a muteness that comes in your life because this is the thing. When you're doubting, whew, you need to stop talking and start listening. That's good. Faith comes by hearing. The reason your faith is so disturbed is because you won't shut up and listen. Somebody's like, well, I, I try, I, I, I pray and nothing happened. Well, how, how long did you pray? Well, I, I was like five minutes and I was like, God, you got to hurry because I got to be at work. Can I tell you, death is, hurry is the death of your faith. When you put God on a timetable and say, hey, you got to make it happen here, 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 and here. God said, I don't want anything to do with that. So he shuts him up. Now watch what happens. This is the thing about your life. You cannot control what comes into your life. Can't control it. You can't control how it comes into your life. You can't really necessarily all the time control who comes into your life. But you can control what you name it. 
In Genesis chapter 35, verse 18, there's a man named Abraham and his wife is dying. (laughs) And as she's dying, she's having a son. And with her last breath, she names him. Son of my sorrow is his name, she calls him. And the Bible tells us his father renamed him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. The right hand in scripture is representative of so many different things. You get strength there, you get favor there, you get salvation there, there's victory there. They couldn't control what came into their life, but they could control what they named it. The Bible says that when Elizabeth gave birth to John, they were getting ready to name him after his father. And the mom said, no, we got to name him John. And, And the family said, no, there's nobody in our family with that name. There's nobody in our family with that name. That that doesn't fit with the history of our family. They don't fit into the narrative. That doesn't fit into the narrative of what we've always been. That doesn't fit into the narrative of who we are. That doesn't fit into our history. You cannot allow your history to speak to your destiny. So this is what they said. They said, well, let's, let's, let's ask John, let's, let's ask Zacharias. Zacharias writes back John. And the moment he wrote that name down, because listen to this, what you hear from heaven, you have to write. You hear it, you write it. Habakkuk even gives this that as a way to make the vision plain. I hear from God and I write the vision down. I hear from God, I write it down. Because if I write it down, I'm even in, even we know this in learning in school, if I write it down, I'm probably going to remember it better. And if I write it down, if I forget it, I can go back and look at it and bring it back to my remembrance. John writes it down, John. And as soon as he makes that declaration of faith, his mouth is loosed. What is God waiting to loose in your life? What's he waiting for you to write down that will loose something in your life? Throw your hands to heaven this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, over these past few moments, we've heard from your word. And God, honestly, we have very often responded like Zacharias. But God, help us to change that response. Help us to change that response today. As we look at the promises that you have declared over our life, help us not to respond with doubt because why would we doubt? You are the one who said it. Why would we, why would we waver? You are the one who declared it. And if you declared it, you are able to perform it. Your word that you have spoken will come to pass. We believe it. We receive the rain of the Lord that is falling. Even though we only see a cloud the size of a man's hand, we see and sense and hear the sound of the abundance of rain in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in this room shouted amen, amen.
Hallelujah. Do you receive that word this morning?